Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. There's a side effect specific to that type of cancer and that type of treatment with the radiation because they're radiating the head and neck area. There's a chance, as they've seen it lately, there's a chance that you can have a stroke. We were not aware of it. When the stroke hit, it hit mid-afternoon. It was a, a little bit after three o'clock. After our time. three. I just worked out earlier that day. I was turning along. I was on the phone with banking individuals and it hit and I didn't know what it was. Number one, I got up, walked outside, came in and I just go, hey, something's wrong with me. They were here in like 15 minutes. They packaged me up and brought me to the hospital. I remember a little bit about Uncle Randy lowering me to the ground and a few things here and there, but for the most part, that's the last thing I would remember. I spoke with him about 40 minutes before he had the stroke. He was completely fine. I was just checking in with him. Like he said, I was on my way to a dinner, an early dinner appointment, and he was completely fine, and then he wasn't. And it was amazing how quickly that happened. And so my uncle called me and he said, we're loading Darren up into an ambulance and they're bringing him and they named the hospital. And in my brain, I was so naive because I was like, really, can it be that bad? I mean, are we gonna pay for an ambulance? Because that seems like it's a little extreme. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Some treatments for cancer can bring an increased risk of suffering a stroke. In a recent study, it was found that those under the age of 65 who'd received treatment for head and neck cancers were 10 times more likely to suffer an ischemic stroke than the normal population. In this episode, we'll hear from Darren Landry and his wife Dawn, both originally from Louisiana, now living in Houston. Darren suffered a stroke at the age of 48. I was a banker. That was during the day, and in the evenings, I worked as a personal trainer. After 2010, when he found out that he was cancer-free, he started a personal training business where he had about eight regular clients consistently for almost 10 years. He's like an extreme fitness person, so he would work out six, seven days a week, a couple hours a day, extremely well, skinless, boneless, chicken breasts almost all the time, enough to make him cluck. But with all of that, he still had the stroke, and that was the amazing thing. He was extremely healthy otherwise. It was our doctor on the cancer side that said the stroke didn't surprise them, although they didn't see it coming. They didn't see it happening. So he had stage four head and neck cancer and was diagnosed in, the, in July of 2009. 
and was very successful. It was very challenging for those six months in terms of chemo, radiation. He had started with surgery and then chemo and radiation and lost 85 pounds. It was extreme, but he was very successful and was considered a survivor, kind of blew through it all and did really, really well. And we didn't know this, but there's a side effect specific to that type of cancer and that type of treatment with the radiation because they're radiating the head and neck area. There's a chance, as they've seen it lately, there's a chance that you can have a stroke. We were not aware of it. And so it hits about the 8 to 10 mark, and he was right in that 10-year mark of being cancer-free. And so when I called his oncologist, his survivorship doctor, she wasn't surprised, and um, which is unfortunate, but we didn't know about it. And so that's part of the message is... If you have had head and neck cancer, you are like almost a ticking time bomb and you need to go get your neck x-rayed because he had 100% blockage in his carotid and it was just waiting to happen. And we had no idea. It was this silent killer. When the stroke hit, it hit mid-afternoon? It was a a little bit after three o'clock. After three. I just worked out earlier that day. I was turning along. I was on the phone with banking individuals and it hit and I didn't know what it was. Number one, I got up, walked outside, came in and I just go, hey, something's wrong with me and walked to the island of our kitchen. And I stood there and Dawn was down the street at a early lunch and Dawn's uncle who moved in with us a few years ago, he walked up, he said, hey, are you okay? I didn't say anything because I couldn't talk at all. And I looked at him and I go, I just shook my head. Like I couldn't explain what was wrong with me. And he goes, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you? And finally he came and he grabbed me and he, he let me down to the ground and he got up and called the ambulance and got them on the way here and then called Dawn right after They were here in like 15 minutes. They packaged me up and brought me to the hospital. I remember a little bit about Uncle Randy lowering me to the ground and a few things here and there. But for the most part, that's the last thing I would remember. When they were rolling me through the hospital, I looked up and surprised that Dawn had beat my ambulance to the hospital. And she shared a bunch of medical options with my doctor because that's really all I can remember, I guess, from like, I guess the whole week of that, that time period when I, when I finally could understand when they explained to me that I had been out of it for a few days, I didn't know how to mark that up my work because there were deals that were going on. Luckily, my wife got in touch with everybody and let them know that those deals either happened or wouldn't be happening. It took everything off of my shoulders. During Darren's initial stay in hospital, Dawn stayed right by his side. I spoke with him about 40 minutes before he had the stroke. He was completely fine. I was just checking in with him. Like he said, I was on my way to a dinner, an early dinner appointment, and he was completely fine, and then he wasn't. 
And it was amazing how quickly that happened. And so my uncle called me and he said, we're loading Darren up into an ambulance and they're bringing him and they named the hospital. And in my brain, I was so naive because I was like, really, can it be that bad? I mean, are we going to pay for an ambulance? Because that seems like it's a little extreme until I got there. And then, uh, like he said, I, I beat the ambulance. They pulled me back when he, he, the ambulance got there and the doctor told me that he was having a, a full-blown stroke. He would be 100% paralyzed on his right side, but it was within the, t- the two-hour window to get the TPA in his system. And she explained exactly what TPA was very quickly. She said, we, time is of an essence. We don't have a lot of time. I said, well, I just have, I have one question. I said, what are the side effects? And she said, there's a 3% chance that he could blow, throw a blood clot and die right there. And I said, so you're telling me that there's a 97% chance that my husband can recover. And she said, yes. And I said, well, go do it now. And then, you know, I, I it was like that life and death decision really quickly. So when I finally did see him, they brought him to me at that point, he couldn't even open his right eye. He was 100% paralyzed. He couldn't speak anything like that on the right side. And from there began the process. He went through surgery. He had um, 100% blockage in his carotid artery. And so they went through and, and the surgery was several hours long. It was supposed to be an hour long and it was almost four hours long, which was excruciating because it was in the evening, like a day and a half before Thanksgiving. And I was by myself. Luckily, some friends, because um, all of our family is in Louisiana, but we live in Houston. So our friends become our family. So a lot of them came and, and met me to be with me while our family was en route coming from other places. And so the doctor said it was successful, but then he warned me of a lot of really bad things that could happen in the coming days. So fortunately, none of those things happened. And he spent, you know, six days, seven days in ICU. He started to slowly regain, and it was just really miraculous because his feet, um, the right foot started moving first, and we thought he was just kind of anxious in the bed because he couldn't talk to us. And so, and I knew nothing about strokes. At that point, I have no medical background whatsoever. So at that point, I was trying to figure out exactly what was going on, and we thought he was just anxious. He was actually doing rehab on himself in the bed, trying to figure out what limbs were able to move and whatnot. And then five days later, I watched him that Sunday morning at 530 in the morning force his brain to wiggle his index finger. And it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And so that began the whole like body transformation in terms of the physical rehab and whatnot. And so he was released from the hospital. He spent 24 days with between ICU and inpatient rehab and everything else. And then we got home right before Christmas. And then he spent eight months in physical, occupational and speech therapy. And he's doing amazing. I mean, he couldn't speak at all for the first four or five months in terms of getting sentences out or, you know, and and it's been kind of fun because his brain is remapping itself. And so he always knows what he wants to say and everything that he says comes out and it's applicable, but it's words that he never might have used before in the past. And he used to have a a lovely Southern accent. And now there's a, we don't know exactly what this accent is that, um, that Darren has, has now, but he's a fighter. He's a warrior and he's, he never gave up. Darren had weekly therapy sessions. They had me come in three days a week and I went to an hour on each. So an hour on physical therapy, an hour in occupational therapy, and then a final hour with speech therapy. And so it was, uh, it was three times a week, three hours a day. And then 
eventually turned into two hours a day until I was finished with occupational and with physical therapy. And then I continued with speech therapy until I finished at the end of July. From there, Dawn was able to get me into an Arasti doctor and I started seeing that guy and I'm still seeing that guy for my right shoulder and my right hip. And I see him twice a week. And there's just little things that kind of similar to once he once he was spit out the other side of cancer, he has side effects that he just deals with and this works works around. There are now side effects that we're finding from the stroke that he's figured out how to or we're yeah. trying to work around overall. One of them being um, he's had some muscle issues with his right arm and his right hip that he's working through with physical therapy. He gets really, really antsy and very, very nervous and also very, very fatigued now after the stroke. So we're dealing with some of those side effects and just kind of managing around them as well. I've kind of noticed that when we go somewhere and, and I drive, I can drive for about an hour and then I start getting antsy about it. So the thought of loading up in the car and going all the way to Louisiana, about a three and a half to four hour drive, depending on the, on the stops, that thought just doesn't hit me like I want it to, because I know that at, when I get to Louisiana, my family and Dawn's family is going to want to sh- show up and see me. That thought sends me off into the abyss. <laughs> yeah, he used to be extremely, extremely social. He was an extreme extrovert and kind of the life of the party with great stories and things like that. And now loud noises and big crowds, they're just not as appealing. It's obvious that I'm not anywhere close to what I used to be at least not the same person that I used to be with what I did before. And matter of fact, there's a, when I was working in the banking world, all of my coworkers, they, they laminated this little sheet that someone created on the computer that said story time with uncle Darren. And they would walk by and say, okay, I'm, I'm taking about 15 minutes of my day out to walk in and, talk to Darren because he's he's going to hit me with a story I've never heard before. When we came home at the end of December, you know, we're very much get her done kind of people, extreme type A, very successful, you know, almost 30 year careers, uh, both of us uh, respectively. And so it's been a wonderful blessing for both of us. But because we are so driven and so high achiever kind of people, you know, I really wanted to know kind of the framework. So when are we going to get there? When's he going to be who he's, you know, where's he going to be Darren? And so um, I talked to this retired speech therapist whose son is a colleague of mine and he volunteered some time with her. And so I got her on the phone and she said, look, I don't know you. And she said, but I'm going to be very direct. And she said, you are setting yourself up for failure if you're thinking that he is going to be Darren again. And she said, because you're not who you were before the stroke. And she said, so can you give him the freedom to be who he's going to be next? And that really blew it open for me because it took the constraints off of trying to get there and just said, okay, we're just going to ease our way into it. And it was a huge lesson learned also, because quite honestly, when COVID hit in March here in the United States, 
we really had to throttle back and really take some time and really heal also. And so having that perspective and knowing that you have the freedom to create this next chapter of your life really has really kind of set the standard for us for 2020 overall. Yeah, it's kind of issued a challenge between me and my staff or me and my clients. Yeah, and, you're, you're on medical leave now, Yeah, but people still contact him to want his advice and whatnot. After overcoming stage four cancer, doctors think the treatment Darren received increased the risk of him having a stroke. Coming up in Stroke Stories, Dawn on how she defines her role. I call myself a care coach in terms of being able to just be there, be that advocate, be that ambassador on his behalf and really kind of coach coach him through to get to the other side. And Darren on wanting to keep active. One of the things that I do is every day I've given myself a little project at home. And so if I schedule two things that I plan to do and I get through one and I'm suddenly just exhausted, it says that I was putting too much expectation from my list for the day. And I just go and take a nap. (laughs) Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's Dawn talking about her new book. The book is called Armored. And the reason why is if ever you didn't want a person to take care of you, it would be me. I'm the most unintentional caregiver that there is. I'm, you know, non-emotional, non-maternal. We don't have any kids and um, are together. He has a son. But I lead with logic. I lead with my head. And then I deal with the emotional stuff later. And so when he was recovering in the inpatient rehab, I just kept telling him, you're a fighter. There's a testimony here. You're an inspiration and we need to document this, not only the stroke, but the, all the, all the battles kind of that led up to the stroke and the lessons that we had learned. And so it's a memoir in that it's very reflective in terms of me as a person, us together in our relationship, but every particular chapter within the book following chapter two actually talks about each of his battles and the lessons that I learned, because whether you're in a, you know, a healthcare crisis right now or not, there's one impending for either you or someone that you love. And so what do you, what can you do to prepare yourself 
for the upcoming battle or even if you are in the battle. And so one of those pieces of it is what are you doing to take care of yourself as the caregiver overall? I don't use the term caregiver to describe myself because that term just never really kind of resonated with me. I call myself a care coach in terms of being able to just be there, be that advocate, be that ambassador on his behalf and really kind of coach coach him through to get to the other side. It's been an amazing journey. I just knew that other people could benefit from this story, especially from his story. And because he is a warrior in terms of his, you know, just not wanting to, to stop. You know, I've asked him before if he ever feels sorry for himself and if he ever says, why me? You don't, though. No, I, I, I never look at it like, why am I doing this? I recognize that it's kind of God's choice to put me through it and find the things that I've got to get out of it. And so every day, it's whatever happens I need to accept it as, okay, this is how I'm going to answer what they're challenging me with. Darren thinks you should set yourself a goal every day. The number one thing I I get out of this is that anyone who goes through the stroke, everybody's going to be just a little different. It's going to be something unheard of between two people, they can go through the same thing, you know, the, the stroke on the, on the left side and it, it affects the right side. And, and so you would think that what gives me faith in the treatment would also affect the other person the same way. It's not the same case. You got to accept it and deliver it and know that we're going to deal with this in a different way. You're going to get a different recipe for the same problem and you're just going to deal with it. One of the things that I do is every day I've given myself a little project at home. And so if I schedule two things that I plan to do and I get through one and I'm suddenly just exhausted, it says that I was putting too much expectation from my list for the day. And I just go and take a nap. (laughs) So you wake up with a purpose every day with something to do, right? Yeah. I wake up with something to do every day. And if I don't get it at first, I was so upset with myself because I couldn't achieve that. Well, now I'm just realizing you know, just deal with what you can. And with you, when you hit that point where you can't go further, you need to rest. And that's where it's hitting me right now. It's very inspirational. He wakes up with a project every day. And so I ask him every day, what do you, what's on the agenda for the day? And so that's your advice to other people is to have something that you're going to accomplish every day, right? Two things, let others help you. I mean, people want to help. That was one of the hardest lessons that I had to learn during his cancer battle is that I wanted to tackle it all myself. And so really throttling back and letting people be there for you in the way that they need to was a huge lesson. And then the other piece of it is preserving a piece of your identity for yourself. 
everyone rushes to the patient and the caregiver's like, hey, I'm over here. You know, when you're spit out the other side, you lose a piece of yourself. And so I learned that from his cancer battle in that I love taking care of him and I loved being with him that much every day and, and whatnot because my job allowed me to take some time off to be able to do that with him. But I didn't leave any piece of it for myself. And so I went through it after he was that, you know, said that he was cancer free. I went through a little depression for about a year because I was the woman whose husband had cancer. I didn't have an identity anymore. And so walking through the first few weeks of the stroke, you have to be all in in that kind of way. But once we were able to get him into a routine, it was allowing other people to do things for us. So then that way I could do things for myself also. So then that way it created a lot healthier balance for me. And so part of it was continuing with my Bible study and my friends that I walk with in Christ. So then that way that I carved out that piece and then even just doing the smallest things like having a cup of coffee with friends. COVID times made it a bit of a challenge. But actually, I spend time on the front porch with friends just to be able to have some piece of it for myself. So that's the other piece of advice that I would give. In just over a year, Darren has made an incredible recovery. And Dawn has released a memoir of her experiences looking after Darren and hopes it'll provide inspiration and encouragement to others. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories... I was in a operation to get my benign tumor removed from my uh, brain and I was wide awake because in the operation they had to uh, go deep in my uh, brain to get the tumor out. They were almost done and they had to take a little like piece of a uh, tumor out. They took it out but they also uh, ruptured a uh, vessel. Please don't forget to subscribe to Stroke Stories and rate and comment on the episodes that you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please do contact via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.